Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Become Fire podcast. Father Anthony here with my compatriot in arms once again, Father Peter Teresa McConnell. Hello, hello, everybody. Good to be with you. It is May. You know what May means? May means Mary. May means Mary. It's Our Lady's Come Month. On now, Jesus. The month of Our Lady. So, great way to start the month of May. We're going to talk about Our Lady. Let's do a podcast yeah. on uh, Marian dogmas. What does the church actually teach about Mary? Right. Uh, let's start with a little prayer, though. You mind asking about the Holy Spirit upon us, Father? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just pour forth uh, your Holy Spirit upon, uh, down upon myself and, and Father Anthony and, and all those listening to this podcast, that, um, that just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed um, Our Lady uh, at the uh, Annunciation, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come now and overshadow us and, and draw us deeper into love of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the intercession of Mary, our mother. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, there are four Marian dogmas. Four. A, a dogma is a solemn declaration of the church. Right. Have to believe. Yes. Must believe these things. In about order to Mary. be Catholic, you got to believe it. Um, so we're going to talk about what they've actually defined. Right, we're not limited to this. Yes, um, but these are the things they've defined that we must believe about Mary. We want to talk about these. There's also proponents of a fifth Marian dogma. Mm. We're going to briefly touch on that at the right. end. Just what this is, this concept that people, yeah, you know us, we got to <laughs> dip our hands, our toes in controversy. Yeah, yeah. The first definition dogma that the Church proclaimed about Mary yeah. came in the Council of Ephesus in four. 31. Right. Okay. And what the church proclaimed was that Mary is Theotokos. That yes. is God bearer. Amen. The mother of God. So Amen. every January 1st, we have a solemnity to celebrate Mary right. as the mother of God. Holy day of obligation. January it is a 1st. holy day of obligation. Yes. We're not celebrating a new year. We're celebrating our mother. Amen. That's how we start the new year. Praise God. Um. So the reason this is so important is it's Christological. Right. Right, the reason we're pro pro proclaiming Mary is the mother of God is because there was a bit of controversy, and that is, who is she bearing, right? Because there yeah, are right. individuals, Nestorian being the big one. Nestorius, uh, the, the arch enemy, yes. Who said that Mary was the Christotokos, right. the Christ bearer, yep. that Cr she was simply the bearer of his humanity, mm -hmm. not of his divinity. Right. But the church solemnly declared, Nestorius, you're wrong. For sure. Why? Well, because you're a she, heretic. You're a heretic. Yeah. It's a it's a heresy to believe this. Why? You've got to believe that Mary is the mother of God. Why? Because there is no separation between the divinity and the humanity. Right. They're, they are they're, united together in the one person of Jesus Christ. When the Word became flesh, they completely united in one yes. in, in Jesus Christ. And so this person, the person of God, the Son of God, the Jesus second Christ person himself, of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity became a man yes. in the womb of Mary yeah. at the Annunciation. And she, therefore, is the mother of God. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful title. It's a really, it's really, really important distinction that, that Mary is, is Theotokos, God-bearer, that, that she um, conceived the second person of the Trinity in the womb, and not just, not just a human person um, that was then anointed and, and kind of served as God as... Um, as you know, different heresies proposed. And so um, I think it's just kind of an important starting ground for us as we enter into just Marian dogma, Marian theology, Marian spirituality, that um, that it's always in reference to Jesus Christ. 
um, that everything that we say about Mary and everything that we believe about Mary um, is is not necessarily for for her sake, um, but um, has tremendous, tremendously uh, important implications for what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about God. Um, and so uh, I think that's why this is such an important declaration is, is so early on in the church's history is they're sorting all this stuff out. Um, different people are saying different things about, you know, who Jesus is. Because the scriptures don't tell you this specifically that, I mean, these these heretics, Arius and Nestorian in the early church were, were using scripture to validate their their theology of why Jesus wasn't God and things like that. And so we needed the the council, we needed the church, we needed the magisterium to, to weigh in, to rightly interpret the scriptures for us and give us this declaration of, of Mary as, as God-bearer. The a Antarctus. proper understanding of Mary is a proper understanding of Jesus. Right. She always, it's the wedding feast at Cana. Yeah. She always points to Jesus, yeah. to whatever he tells you. She will always lead you. As you get closer to Mary, you will find yourself closer to Jesus because yeah. she's always pointing to her son. Right, but that's why we are properly properly defining who she is because we're trying to understand who yeah. her son is, yeah. the God Man, the Redeemer of the world. You can't really separate the two. You can't really separate mom and son in know, many ways. Now, what is she not? She's not a goddess. Right. This does not make her oh, because she's the mother of God, therefore she's equal to God. Right. No, she's still a creature. Yeah. She is not a member of the Trinity. She is not the bearer of the Trinity in her mm-hmm. womb. She's the bearer of the God-man in her womb. Yeah, the second so she, person we can the say Trinity. she's the mother of God in that she's the bearer of Jesus, who is the son of God, who's yeah. fully divine and fully human, but she is not somehow in any way equal to God. Right, right, right. This oh. No, and I was just going to say that um, just to make the point that we call her, we call her the God-bearer, we call her Theotokos, um, but in a... In a different way, all of us as Christians, as as baptized believers, um, who who are temples of the Holy Spirit, are are also God bearers, but but not Theotokos. That that we would um, that the the other word would be then um, um, Theophorus. That that we bear God in a, in a different kind of way. Um, that Mary's bearing of God is unique, is singular, is a special privilege. That she actually conceived God in her womb. Um, in a physical way, where we bear God just in a spiritual way. You know what's interesting, though? We don't actually hold Mary in such a high regard simply because she bore God in her womb. Yeah. It's actually more important that she bore her him in her heart. Yeah. Right, that she is a member of the body of Christ. Yeah. And we would call her even the neck of the body of Christ, Bernard yeah. Clairvaux would say. Yeah, right. That, that, that as a member of the body of Christ actually unites her closer to us and to God mm-hmm. and to her son than even having her in the womb. Yeah. That her baptism actually draws her closer to her son then or she her, baptized well she wouldn't have been she would bat- have been after well she, she would have been baptized we'll as a get Christian. into we can get into some well that is some interesting implications for her immaculate conception and things like that so um but, she, but you're saying her as a member of the body of christ for sure yeah yeah at sure. that moment i yeah. guess even she's perpetual i mean she's immaculately conceived so you're yeah. right yeah but but all that to say yeah no it's interesting that, yeah that her membership in the body of christ she's a member is why she is why we hold her such high esteem yeah because of her role yeah. in the body of Christ, not simply because she was the mother of God. Right, right, right. Even though as, as important and beautiful as yeah. that is. Yeah, no, it's, it's an unbelievable privilege as it was given to her. Because she bore him in her heart. Okay, second dogma that the church declares is her perpetual virginity. Amen. Um, this was declared at the Council of Lateran, 649, um, that Mary was virgin before, during, and after Amen. the birth of Jesus. Yeah. 
Uh, we don't have to delve into that for just a second. For sure. But I say how important this is. That we would say that before he was conceived, she was a virgin, right? She had no relations with a man. At his conception, she remained a virgin. Right. Right. That uh, when the Annunciation occurred, that there was no relations with a man. It was a, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she remained a virgin, right? Throughout uh, the bearing of Christ, God in her womb, Jesus in her womb. And even during the birth of Jesus, right. she remained a virgin. Right. This is obviously um, uh, mystical. Yes. Uh, this Mysterious, is a not sure. natural, this is a miraculous uh, occurrence. Yeah. That, but Jesus passed through the womb of Mary. Yeah. Um, a lot of debate as to what that means, but just to say that she remained a virgin. Yeah. In that her she her her virginity is perpetual, and that's really important because she is the virgin made church. Yeah. Right. She represents the church, and her virginity remaining intact remains important. Amen. And then she reigns a virgin that she never she does not have relations with Joseph. She does not have relations with any man, um, in sexually. Right. She remains a virgin her whole life. Right. So what would you then say to those who might say, well, don't the scriptures say that Jesus had other brothers, Father? Correct. Um, a good question. Yeah. Right. So uh, there is no word in Aramaic hmm. for cousin, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's your brother. If yeah. they're your cousin, they're your brother. And that's how you call them, right? So even the cousins are considered brothers, Right, we would even say that um, it, 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 we see Mary, the mother of James and Salome, is at the cross. Right, right. Who they call the sister of Mary. Yeah. So Mary, the sister of Mary. Yeah. Right. We would say, well, did your parents both name you Mary? <laughs> no, she had a cousin named Mary. Mm -hmm. Right. But they just use the word sister instead of the yeah. word cousin because that's just the word you used in Aramaic. So when yeah. they're saying Jesus had brothers, what they're saying is Jesus had cousins. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. No, thank you. Because I think many times people will 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 use that scripture as a way to try to, um, you know, disprove this this um, teaching of the Catholic Church. So it's important that we understand what the scriptures are actually saying uh, in these instances when it's talking about Jesus's brothers. And so why is this so important? Well, because her virginity, again, Mary represents the church. Um, she, she represents the new Eve, right? And her virginity, her... Um, one, it's very important because it shows that Jesus was not a natural conception. Yes. That his father truly is God. Um, and, and, you know, even though he is God himself, but he's the son of God. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that yes. this was not a natural conception. Yeah. yeah. Um, nor was it an immaculate conception. <laughs> that has to do with Mary, not with Jesus. Yes. We'll get to that in just a second. Yes. But so it's it's important to say she was a virgin. And also her virginity showing her um, without stain without defile um, in, in, of her virginity, right? That she was a pure uh, um, gift unto the Lord and, and the sign of the church being pure and inviolate. Yes. And represented as the bride of Christ. Amen. Amen. The third, what we're getting to, third dogma, yes. the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. um, and this does not have to do with Jesus. I get this all the time. Like, For sure. We're yeah. celebrating the Immaculate Conception, right? When Jesus gave, conceived when Mary conceived Jesus, right. it's like, no, 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 no. That's we are March not, 25th. That's that is the Annunciation. The Annunciation, yeah, the Annunciation right? is when Mary conceives of Jesus. This is Mary's conception. Yes. That we believe that she was immaculately conceived. Right. Which means we believe that she was conceived without the stain of original sin. Right. So we believe we are all conceived with original sin. The only mm -hmm. two people who were not were Adam and Eve. Right? Yes, and yeah, they, they were made they, in grace. Yep. They sinned before Jesus and Mary, yeah. but, but they they were created in a state of complete state of grace. They sinned. Their sin has been passed on. Right. Call it original sin to all of their offspring. That's us. Right. Um, 
And we, therefore, are stained by sin. Yes. But Mary was not. Yes. Why? Because she's the vessel of the God-man, mm-hmm. right? A pure, if, 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 if he's creating his home on earth, he's going to create it pure and perfect, right? And so he, she is immaculately conceived, and she is without sin her whole life. So Mary does not sin. Right. right. Now, uh, Father, you're going to get this question, you know, from the scriptures of like, yeah. oh, it says all men sin, right. have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right. So how, why is it or how is it that we as Catholics say that she is without sin? Right. So it is important to recognize that um, that all are in need of a Savior, and the Church holds that and, and believes that and teaches that, that it is also in light of the merits of Christ's um, redeeming work on the cross that, that Mary is immaculately conceived. And so what we would say is that— um, all of us who have um, are born with original sin, are in need of a savior, um, in need of the cross, in need of Jesus's work. That that our redemption, um, our salvation, um, is is reparative. That it is it is restoring and making up for something that is lacking for us. And what we say about Mary's is that her redemption was preservative. That she was preserved from original sin. So it was still Jesus redeeming her. Um, but preserving her. And, and so this was, the, the church says that this is um, the most perfect way to, to save and redeem someone. So um, I think an analogy that we sometimes use, or I've heard use, is that, you know, original sin is all of us falling into a pit, and, and then Jesus, you know, placing the cross into the pit, and by the cross, we all climb up out of it and are saved. Um, and that we can think of that for, for Mary— that the cross goes into the pit and then she walks across it um, and is preserved from falling into the pit, but it is still by the, um, the work of her son that, that she is freed from original sin, but in a, in a preserving way, that she never experiences it. The church calls it prevenient grace. Yes. That the grace of the cross goes backwards in time. Yes. Um, and it, but it is the grace of the cross, that Mary needs the cross just as we all need the cross yes. that to, to, to be saved original sin. And the prevenient grace of the cross is how that immaculate conception occurs. This is real important because she is the new Eve. Yes. Right? And, and this was so important because the, she was um, the first Eve fell. Yep, the first right. Adam fell. Right. And, and so Mary is, I was the hope for humanity. Like, mm. can we do it? Mm-hmm. The first Eve and the first Adam, they, they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They fell. And yeah. so God says, all right, I'm going to try, I'm going to make a new Eve. I'm going to immaculate conceive her just like I did the first Eve. And we're going to have another chance for humanity. Yeah. I'm going to send my God, I'm going to become man. The word's going to become flesh. And will Mary say yes? Yeah. And immaculate conception and the fact that she did not sin her whole life yeah. is a sign, yes, it is possible. There's hope for humanity. She's the highest honor of our race. Yes. She said fiat. She said yes. Yeah. It's... um. It's a, it's an interesting, interesting, I mean, what a, what a lacking word to talk about something so beautiful, but, but it is, it is a mystery of our faith, especially in, in God's relationship to time, God's dispensation of grace in our lives and in his gifts. And, um, you know, there's even a story of, I think Padre Pio visiting the doctor and, and as he's, he's there, he's praying for his, I think it's either his deceased uncle or father. Um, and the doctor knew this man and was saying, well, why are you praying for him that, that he's already, he's already passed? And Padre Pio says that, you know, that God can take my prayers now and, and apply them 
outside of time to them when they needed them. Um, and so there is this mystery of, of in our experience of time and in that, you know, linear progression that, you know, Mary's conception comes before the cross, um, but God's experience of time is outside of that. And he can give his gifts, give his graces, give those, give those, um, that preventing grace, um, outside of the framework of our experience of, of time. And so it's, um, a very, very mysterious thing. Um, but, but, but somewhat beautiful and surrendering to the, to the mystery of that. I guess I should say as, as a note that this was proclaimed ex cathedra by Pope Pius the ninth in his apostolic constitution in ineffabilis Deus. Yes. Um, now ex cathedra means, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he, from, his from chair. the chair, from the chair. So yeah. the Pope has the, when he speaks on faith and morals, he can speak dogmatically if he does it from the chair, ex cathedra. Yes. Right. It's not that everything that comes out of the Pope's voice is right. infall- uh, infallible, but it means when the Pope speaks on faith and morals ex cathedra, it is dogma of the church. Meaning, he's meaning he's intending to proclaim something infallibly. He, yes. He's aware that he's exercising this charism that he has from the Holy Spirit. And so he would say, this is infallible. This is truth being proclaimed because the Pope has spoken ex cathedra. So what would you say to someone is, okay, oh, this is all really great, wonderful, pious reflections on Mary, but you know, um, are you Catholics just making this stuff up? You know, where, where would you find basis for something like the Immaculate Conception in, in the scriptures um, that, that all Christians you know, read and hold and believe to? So, so what, how does the church kind of ground these, these dogmas that we have to believe in and and what we know as the the the, the primary source of revelation is the, the the scriptures with tradition as well. Um, the word that we want right now is kikere tomene. <laughs> Greek is a hard. If I language. can say that, Greek is properly. a hard language. Um, it means full of grace, mm. and, and it means so overflowing with grace that it's not possible to any more grace fill in. It's yeah. this beautiful word from Luke chapter one, verse twenty-eight that. that that the angel appears to Mary, Gabriel appears to Mary, mm-hmm. and he says, hail, full of grace. Right. Um, he doesn't say hail Mary. That's a beautiful thing to think about, but, it, but it's important to know he says hail, and he uses this word, full of grace, right. because he's naming her that. Right. Just as Abram na- was named Abraham, and Saul was named Paul, and Peter was named Simon, uh, Simon was named Peter. Mary's being named right now. Yeah. By well, an a angel. revelation of, of It's who, a revelation of who, of who, she, who is. she really is. Yeah. Just as Peter is the rock, right. Petra, rock, she is full, full of, of grace. grace. Yeah, amen. And this is why she's like kind of surprised. She's like so surprised at the greeting because what it's basically saying is you, there's no, it's not possible for any human being to yeah. have any great, more grace in them than you do right now. Yeah. So by the angel declaring that, which mm-hmm. is the word of God, yes, it's, it, what he's saying is you, there is no sin in the way of grace yes. in this vessel of God. Yeah. And so this is not something the church is making up, like we're just doing, oh, the, and, and because it's more recent. I mean, this was, you know, proclaimed in the, I think the 1800s, late 1800s. 1854, yeah. That's right, 1854. And so it's like, oh, this is recent stuff. No, 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 this has ancient roots yes. from the church, from the scriptures itself, from the mm-hmm. church fathers, what the church has always believed. Yeah. We're just finally defining it. Yes, right. And just because we finally define something doesn't mean we haven't always believed it. Correct. And so the fact that she is full of grace, mm-hmm. she is the woman clothed with the sun. We, we read in Revelation chapter 12. Yeah. Right. This this woman clothed the sun with the the moon under her feet, um, uh, the st- a crown of stars around her head. Yeah. That this beautiful woman said fiat. She said yes. Yeah. And and so for her to be that full of grace, to her to be this woman, to her to be the Virgin May Church, 
it's because she was without sin. Yeah. She's the new Eve who did it right. Yeah. Who didn't sin as the first Eve did. Yeah. She is, um, she's full of grace and, and uh, that, that she has been full of grace. She is full of grace and she always will be full of grace. That it is this revelation of just her, who she is, that she's always been full of grace and always will be full of grace, that she is the immaculate conception, that she was conceived um, full of grace, immaculately conceived, conceived in sanctifying grace without any taint of original sin. Uh, it was unbelievable. Um, Amen. Uh, yeah. The fourth Marian dogma. Okay, let's go. From 1950, this is also ex cathedra, Pope Pius X putting out his uh, encyclical Munificentissimus Deus. Latin is also a hard language. Latin is also hard. Greek it's and also, Latin. I'm also tired. Um, <laughs> but that the Mary uh, was assumed into heaven. Yeah. Now, this is also ancient belief. I mean, there's churches in the Holy Land right. of where she was assumed into yes. heaven. Uh, so there was, there's, it's, you know, people witness this. Yeah. Uh, her assumption. Yeah. Um, now this is getting it's, in. It's part of of how the church declares something uh, ex cathedris ways. It's something that Christians have always held and believed universally. We're just finally declaring it and proclaiming it as something that now we hold to believe to be true, and and you have to hold to it. This is important for many reasons. One, her activity continues in heaven. Mm. That we believe she's queen of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. um, and that her role as mother. That that so another you know talking about scripture verses that you know show, define these things these yeah. dogmas yeah yeah for it's sure. Mary at the cross mm-hmm. so John intentionally calls himself the beloved disciple so that we reading the scriptures will put ourselves in his place right so we put ourselves in the place of the beloved disciple and in that place what does Jesus say to the woman behold your son and to her you know to to the beloved disciple behold your mother well what he's saying is to all beloved disciples this is your mother. And to Mary, you're the mother of all beloved disciples. Yeah. So all of us as disciples, as members of the bodies of, body of Christ, she's our mother. Now have Mary as a mother. And she continues that role as mother even in heaven, mm-hmm. which means she is an intercessor for us. Yes. Um, she's an advocate before the Lord on our behalf, interceding. Um, again, she's not God, but she is, you know, who are you, who are you close to? Your mom. Uh, you know, it's Louis de Montfort who says, you know, even if you don't have a very good gift, you have to like an apple and you're like, all I have is this apple to give to the king. It's all right. Give it to the queen and she'll put it on a golden platter and give it to the king. (laughs) And he'll like the gift because of the golden platter and because of who gives it. Yeah. His mother. So that's why we ask for her prayers, her intercession. So she's continuing this intercessory role as mother for us, even in heaven. So this assumption is helping to clarify her role even Mm -hmm. after death. Yes. And that we believe that she was uh, assumed into heaven um, body, that her, her, it's her bodily assumption into heaven. Correct, Father? That yes. It's, so it's, it's um, that her, her body is no longer with us here on earth, but that she was assumed into heaven um, with her, her body. Body and soul. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, people don't know this. We actually, most, the ancient tradition is that there was a dormition of Mary. Right. Um, so that she actually did experience a, a sleep, the sleep of death. Mm-hmm. That her actually, she kind of always say went to sleep, mm-hmm. passed, um, and then after her dormition, she, that she was assumed, right. body and soul. That she kind of woke up and her whole body and soul was assumed. Um, the, the ancient tradition, why? Because people were there, the witnesses were this passed on. You yeah. know, a lot of these things that we believe, it's because it's been passed on from age to age. Yeah. But also, um, beautiful, and the unity of her son. 
exactly. that her son as well experienced exactly. this. And yeah. so this complete unity with her son. Yeah. So there's a church actually of the Dormition of Mary yeah. where she, yeah. she, she passed. And so it is acceptable to believe this. And actually it's ancient tradition to mm-hmm. believe. You don't have to believe it. There's not been a definition on this one, but that there was a Dormition experience yes. where she did right. pass, um, but then was assumed after her passing. Right, right, for sure. Um, and it is, um, you're talking about her her role now, her 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 role being assumed into heaven, and and how she is our mother, um, and and I find it so beautiful. It's just um, you just see how how God is so generous, and and how God loves to um, use His creatures um, to to be instruments of of His gifts that. That somehow that God wants to use you and I to bless other people. That that He could just do it another way, but He likes to involve us in His work. Um, he gives us such great dignity by by allowing us to work with Him to be a blessing for other people. That that we can pray for things and and um, and that moves God's heart, or that you know. Um, and so we see the same thing with Mary. That that uh, He loves her so much, and and He loves using His creation so much and and she who is the the crown jewel of all creation and, and continuing to to use her um as an instrument to for for blessings for for all of his children amen um real briefly there is those who are advocating for a fifth marian mm-hmm. um originally we bring this up because the pope recently kind of made a comment uh kind of a a comment about this co-redemptrix. So this fifth marrying dogma that people are proposing would, would declare Mary as a co-redemptrix, mediatrix of all grace and advocate. Um, obviously, I am submitting to the church on this one, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about what they're, they're, they're saying, this is actually saying. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about um, that, that I'm okay with this, these dogmas if they're really well-defined. Right. right? That, that I think what they're trying to say and their, their core definition in this, Marian, this fifth, proposed fifth marrying dogma are, are true statements. But they have to be really, really, really well defined. This all be parsed out because you can't just make flippant remarks because because they might it might not um, if you don't well define these things. Right. They there's the like what are you actually saying? Right. So the first thing co redemptrix uh, one co means with it does not mean equal to right right in Latin. So by by saying co redemption, we're saying is that with the redeemer she was at work, um, and this is just pointing to the cross where she was there at the cross. And that, as Simeon said, a sword will pierce your heart. Yeah. That she was um, participating in, whatever St. Paul tells us, we can make up for what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That she had a very important participatory role right. in the cross. And, and why? Because um, as the new Eve, she's there at the cross and experiencing the pain of her son passing. And per, in a certain sense, participating in what he's doing. It's not co-savior. Right, she's not God. She's not a goddess, but it's buying back. There's a buying back that's occurring here. Yeah, and because she is the God bearer, she bore her in her womb, bore him in her womb. Um, there, therefore, uh, th- she has this role um, as the new Eve, as the the Virgin Maid Church, to be there, present, and um, participate in. Um, not an equal level. She's not priest. Yes. Right. She's not making the sacrifice but simply by her suffering, as we can as well. I think it's a call for us that we can participate in the suffering of Christ. We can offer up our sufferings. We can join our sufferings to Christ, um, who has made the one true and perfect sacrifice. Yeah. 
Yeah, that um, that Mary's role in in salvation history um, is is unlike anyone else's, and so her participation in the mysteries of Christ and the mysteries of our salvation are unlike anyone else's. That her participation and her experience of of salvation um, being redeemed in a preservative way is unique. Um, her experience of the incarnation in Christ being born is unique because she's the one who gives birth to him. Um, and that, and that, that, so then also then her experience and her participation then in the work of the cross is going to be unique and singular as well. And that, that, um, that that's okay, <laughs> that it's okay that, that Mary has a special role in the body of Christ. Um, and that is not to, the detriment of the Lord's glory, or in somehow denigrates our role in in all of this as well, but that, um, but that that Mary has this this privileged, unique, and special role in, in all of salvation history. Um, and just real quick, because we're running low on time, but she would be they would call her the mediatrix of all graces, mm-hmm. and that this would be the neck of the body. Um, and yeah. what and again, this has to be really well defined. How is she the mediatrix of all graces? In the fact that she gave birth to the one who is, mm-hmm. you know, the great mediator of all graces. And I don't, this is where I really, for me personally, to be really parsed out. What does this actually mean practically? Mm-hmm. Sure, I need, I need sure. some medieval theologians in here, like telling me specifically sure, what sure. this means. Yeah. Because I think this can go astray really easily. Sure. If it's not really well defined. Yeah. But understanding of her being the neck, the blood flowing from the head through the body, mm-hmm. that, that, that just as Jesus came into the world through her, that yes. graces flow through her. Yes. What specific this means, I think, going to be really well defined. Um, and then advocate, she's up in heaven interceding and praying for us, sure. advocating yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be kind of some of, the, this would be this proposed fifth Marian dogma that's out there. We'll see what God does, what the church does, sure. um, but certainly yeah. in our hearts and our prayers that we want to, the role of Mary to be proclaimed. Yeah. And for all of us to say that, that coming to know her will lead you to the sun. Yeah. So I encourage you, wear a scapular and pray a yeah. rosary every single day, asking for Mary's intercession in yeah. your life. We never have to, that it's not a zero sum game. With, with Mary and, and Jesus, that, that it's never a competition, um, that, that we don't have to be afraid of our devotion and our love for our mother. Um, you know, it's somewhat silly to think that, um, that, that any child who, who loves, loves their mother, that that is somehow then means they don't have room in, in their heart to, to love their father as well. Um, and, that, and that love expands the heart. And so we don't have to be afraid of, of Mary. We don't have to be afraid of Marian devotion. We don't have to be afraid of these Marian dogmas that, um, that that Mary, the, the love of Mary will always increase uh, love of God in our hearts as well. All right, we're out of time, but here's the question of the day. Favorite image of Mary? Favorite image of Mary. Um, so there is a, an, an icon, it's a Russian icon. Uh, it goes by a couple of names. Uh, Our Lady of Vladimir or Our Lady of Tenderness, which is a very sweet icon of uh, Mary holding the child Jesus and him kind of just reaching up and giving her a little kiss on the cheek. So that's my that's my favorite Mary image. How beautiful. Go look that up. Mine's Our Lady Guadalupe. Yeah. Look uh, up not just the image itself, but look up the miracle, like how miraculous yeah, no, it is. It's incredible. I mean, it's not painted it's on there. The, the the image of Juan Diego is like in her pupils of her it's eyes amazing. as you've seen this yes. day. Look at the miracles associated with, like NASA's done experiments on this. Truly, The Tilma should have d- disintegrated by now. Yeah. It's a miraculous image, a beautiful yeah. image. I, I went and visited, I got so touched. Just seeing her, I was emotional. So uh, do a pilgrimage to her as lady uh, as well. Uh, God bless all of you. It's so good to have you. Thank you for being with us. And may Almighty God bless all of you as I bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless well, you all. Peace, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www 
www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.